Remember, as you're enjoying this fabulous podcast of the radio show, you can also get the Armstrong and Getty One More Thing podcast and Armstrong and Getty Extra Large, our long-form interviews, available via the iTunes podcast app and the iHeart app. about the uh the green new deal it's there's some interesting stuff going on with various copies either real or not floating around on the internet nobody can quite figure out what's going on there that was either Mm. deleted or or not deleted from websites and stuff like that i don't i don't know i don't know who's playing the game how it's kind of complicated i think i do okay i think i do um and we will get to that at some point Uh, i prefer to call it the red new deal but uh um, Kevin Williamson, I don't know if you know his name, he's a writer, he's a thinker, he's a, he's a super crazy smart guy. He, he burbled up in the news when he was hired by The Atlantic to offer a conservative perspective from uh, time to time, and then the readers of The Atlantic went so berserk over the hiring of somebody who might challenge their ideas that they immediately fired him before he wrote a syllable oh, for I them. I forgot, he's that guy. One of the most enormous <sighs> acts of cowardice of out of that actually wow. very, very good publication. It's unimaginable, but... They're in business to make money, and they're desperate. So desperate times call for calling or firing Kevin Williamson, apparently. But he wrote a, a piece for the National Review this weekend that absolutely blew my mind. I uh, would rank it among the best things I've ever read in my life. I was just going to say, I've read it twice, and I'm going in for three right after the show. That's in, you know, What kind of magazine article has that impact? The principle we're going to discuss... Well, I, I tweeted a picture of a donut... Joe, Joe tweeted that article. Huh? The Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs> I tweeted a picture of a maple bar with a stick of bacon on it. Fat! Which was delicious. <laughs> so it was like uh, the Long John thing, a maple. B- yeah. And, and one strip of bacon like on, t- on the top of it or Correct. baked into it? On top of it. Wow. That it sounds was, really good. It was. Where were we? Kevin Williamson. Uh, the piece is entitled Sandy's War. Sandy being what Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, everybody called her up until she started running for Congress. She was just Sandy, a bartender who liked to dance and and cared about the world. Um, And the principle we're going to discuss, at least one of them, is meow. Meow. M-E-O-W. Moral equivalent of war. And... He's, his lead is the Green New Deal makes every progressive an armchair general. Said AOC, this is going to be the New Deal, the Great Society, the moonshot, the civil rights movement of our generation. And he says the marketing material published in support of the concept, and that's all the Green New Deal is, an advertising campaign without a product, um, is Sandy's War. And before he gets into the meow thing, he talks about how so many of our... So many of the ways human beings found joy and satisfaction and contentment up until now have kind of crumbled. Community groups, churches, family, uh, the the nuclear family, the extended family, as fewer people are having kids, how those things are crumbling. And human beings need to find something. So what we're seeing is this passionate craving for fame. 
He writes, if the meaning of life has become doubtful, if one's relations to others and to oneself do not offer security, then fame is one means to silence one's doubts. It has a function to be compared with that of the Egyptian pyramids or the Christian faith in immortality. It elevates one's individual life from its limitations and instability to the plane of indestructibility. And then he talks uh, about um, how your fame is your credibility. And he mentions talk radio hosts boasting about the size of their podcast downloads. <laughs> Too close to home. <laughs> um, and uh, and how many Twitter followers Donald Trump and the size of the crowds, that sort of thing. Um, and, he, and he points out that... Number you know, of uh, Trump shots in this article, if you think it's all going after the Green New Deal, for instance. Right, right. Um, and, and the idea that popularity is credibility, he, he, he throws a little shade at that. Then he said, this is one of my uh, my favorites, Representative Ocasio-Cortez's admirers and more than a few of her critics note approvingly that she is a capable user of Twitter, as though this somehow liberated her from such quotidian congressional concerns. He uses words like quotidian. I meant to warn you on, at the outset. I tweeted a picture of a donut. <laughs> That's pretty quotidian, Jack. Uh, it somehow being good at Twitter liberated her from such concerns as knowing how a bill becomes law or what it is the House of Representatives does. Um, uh, let's see. They mentioned her. She's a social media black belt, uh, blah, blah, blah. So this disastrously unsuccessful social experiment of the early 21st century has been attempting to substitute hundreds of or thousands of supervisual, superficial and transitory instant relationships for genuine community and family like we were talking about before, because that takes time and effort. Um, And then they get on to Meow, finally, finally. And this was one of my favorite parts of it, and I don't care if you're left, right, or center, you're going to be intrigued by this. First, he points out that passionate hatred, and he's quoting Eric Hoffer, who's an author, passionate hatred can give meaning and purpose to an empty life. Thus, people haunted by the purposelessness of their lives try to find a new content not only by dedicating themselves to a holy cause, but also by nursing a fanatical grievance. A mass movement offers them unlimited opportunities for both. So, you have a lust for fame, trying to find meaning in your life through hating something and being against it, and getting... Those thousands and thousands of superficial uh, positive reactions out of that. And it all comes together into glory. And glory is largely a theatrical concept. There's no striving for glory without a vivid awareness of audience. Um, blah, blah, blah. Making a show, uh, identifying yourself wholly with an imposing spectacle. He mentions that Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is at 16 syllables a mouthful. The day before yesterday, she was Sandy, a pleasant-seeming young woman who liked to dance, worked in a bar, worried about her family, and chafed that her advantages in elite education uh, left her struggling, obscure, and unsatisfied. And so she set after glory and personal significance in politics, to which she is relatively new. The hatreds and grievances she dotes on are obvious enough and familiar enough that one assumes she's been in possession of them for some time, etc. And there are plenty of people who are guilty of that. But then he gets into the meow thing, finally. How do you get glory in the modern world? How do you become glorified? War has always been the classic, here's how you become a hero. But since, and nobody wants to admit this, we're living in a time of great prosperity and peace, mostly. Um, 
you have to invent warlike causes. I don't know if you'd like to jump in here, Jack. I'm, I'm babbling on and on. This was the most impactful part of this piece and why I think it's one of the best things I've ever read. Um, we are so fortunate, at least short term, to live in a time where we don't have really any threats. We're, we get up every single morning. We have almost no threat, most of us. We're not going to starve. We're not going to be attacked. And we're, we're designed to live a life of purpose. And because we're comfortable and there are no threats... We're having trouble finding that purpose. And as was already mentioned, without religion, without the family structure that it used to exist, without community, where are we finding the purpose? And it's coming from these weird little pieces of glory that we get out of social media Mm -hmm. or uniting around, whether it's hating the halftime show or hating Trump or loving Trump and hating everybody else. That's where we're getting our, our meaning now. Right. It's there's something is going to fill the vacuum. Absolutely. That right. is what's missing from, I believe, a lot of uh, atheists or agnostics or, or, or different worldviews. People are going to fill that desire for purpose with something. Mm-hmm. And just because you took away religion doesn't mean it's going to be filled with something better or that makes more sense or is less dangerous. Right. So um, the moral equivalent of war. Meow. Jonah Goldberg writes about this fair amount, but here's a quote from him. Um, that concept, he writes, has been the central idea of American liberalism for over 100 years. From John Dewey's social benefits of war to Woodrow Wilson's war socialism to FDR's explicit embrace of martial organization to fight the Great Depression to the new frontier and the war on poverty, straight up to Barack Obama's call for America to be more like SEAL Team 6. Um, the idea can simply be understood as the progressive version of nationalism. Minus the word nationalism. When you say we're all in this together, or ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, you're making a nationalist argument, even if you think, as so many liberals do, that the word is icky. Um, here's where, where left, right, and center can understand this and come together. While many causes associated with the moral equivalent of war are well-intentioned and honorable in spirit, like fighting poverty, conservation, that sort of thing. The problem with the idea itself is that it is totalitarian in a psychological, if not always political, sense. If every political opponent is the moral equivalent of Adolf Hitler, if every political initiative is tantamount to D-Day, then there is much that can be excused in the way of underhandedness, rhetorical excess, demagoguery, and the like. As Jonah Goldberg reminds us, war and war alone has been the great champion of socialism because it provides an emergency pretext for the authoritarian project of reorganizing a society in accordance with the necessary model, the ideology, blah, blah, blah. Um, A lot of super big words here. His point is, if you can declare this is an emergency... This is a war. You get to suspend everybody's rights. And everybody has to pitch in because it's so important. And yes, we're going to have to restructure society. We're going to have to take away your individual rights. There's some free speech we can't permit because it's hate speech. We're going to have to confiscate a lot of people's money. We're going to have to jail people who are not helping with the cause. And my liberal friends... That's happened over and over and over and again uh, in America's wars. Uh, Google the Aliens and Sedition Act, for instance. Uh, uh, Abe Lincoln fought the Supreme Court over and over again, um, as did FDR. If we can convince you this is this is a war, it's not a war war, but it's the moral equivalent of a war. We get to do anything we want, and that's why everybody frames everything 
as an emergency, or the politician is the next Hitler. They were claiming Jerry freaking Ford was the next Hitler. And then H.W. and N.W. after him. If you're a Republican, you're Hitler. All right. Sooner or later, I want to see somebody in a swastika, or I'm going to stop believing you. Well, it works on both sides. It does work uh, on both Obama sides. Obama was going to invade Texas, which is ridiculous to me. Right. Um. Uh. Yeah. Well, so you, if- you could accuse George W. in response to 9-11. Now, I happen to think that there is a hell of a good reason for at least a, a little time, a period of time, to err to the side of safety. On the other hand, if everything's a war, anything goes. Yeah, I, I, I particularly find in that article, and we need to link that at armstrongandgetty.com, just the whole concept of we need to believe in something, we need to have a purpose in our lives, and without all the things we mentioned, we've turned to hating on the other side's politics or or variety or, or this weird fame thing that's going on with social media right all of them are disastrous are right. going to be disastrous and you know williamson's point is that it feeds the glory and the uh the fame feed each other right the desire for war and then uh, my final uh, slightly sarcastic uh, <laughs> sentence and hence the green deal our war requiring a new and this is a quote from the red new deal Our war requiring a new national, social, industrial, and economic mobilization on a scale not seen since World War II. Under whose command? That of Field Marshal Sandy, of course. So, yes, we need a complete restructuring of society because we're in a war. And then I wish I could swear on the air because he mentions a couple of great quotes. That's, That's the gist of it. That's the main point. And I want you to take that away. Perhaps we can pause. One, two, three. That's long enough. Uh, so you can get that in your brain and reread the article later. But he hits a couple of uh, quotes that I really like. Uh, Robert uh, Conquest. That's the guy's name. That's the coolest name ever. Um, everyone is conservative about what he knows best. And Kevin Williamson's first law, everything is simple if you don't know an effing thing about it. Um, so calling for World War II level national deployment. In the war against climate change is, um, you know, it's just a great example of everything he was talking about under the command of Field Marshal Sandy. But it sounds to me like there's the, that's the downside of having a really successful experiment like we have in America. So we're safe, we're prosperous. The downside is you look for meaning somewhere else and then it may destroy yourself. Well, listen, I, I don't mean to seem, sound glum. I just think it's natural. Hard times make for tough people. Tough people make for good times. Good times make for soft people, and soft people make for bad times. Then the cycle starts again. We're just we're making ourselves nuts by our relative comfort, I think, as a country. Is this Lady Gaga? Indeed it is. Who won some awards last night at the Grammys. Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience. Of the nation. Talking in my sleep at night, making myself crazy. Out of my mind, out of my mind. Wrote it down and read it out, hoping it would save me. Too many times, too many times. They said. I was weird, that my look, my choices, my sound, that it wouldn't work 
but music told me not to listen to them. All right. You look as Music took my ears, took my hands, my voice, and my soul. And okay. you're hiney. Good for you. But the good part of her speech, apparently, is because I didn't actually see it, is that she uh, made a call out to mental health issues, which is at the heart of the Star is Born story, according to her. You know, I've never seen a Star is Born. There's four versions of it out, and I've Uh-oh. never seen Me it. Me neither. I've managed to avoid it. This one's a good version. <laughs> and if I, with any luck, I may die, have never seen it, never having seen it. But uh, uh, Lady Gaga pointed out that mental health issues, are, mental health issues I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm ill. My whole family was ill. I'm taking medicine. I'm under the influence of a lot of cough syrup. Wow. So give me a break. Um, Mental health issues are even more pervasive within the music industry. If you see somebody that's hurting, don't look away. We need to pay more attention to that. I feel like mental health might be starting to get its day, whether it's Pete Davidson talking about it on Saturday Night Live openly, Mm -hmm. the Grammys, various governors or whoever bringing it up. Yeah, I know my kids' generation is much, much more frank about that sort of thing than than mine was. So obviously, being aware of it is a got to be a good thing. The the what you do about it is going to be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because it's it's part of the look at me, look at me generation that everybody wants the uh, to express the narcissism of small distinctions and point out their malady and and they're like proud of it because you want to be a victim of something. At the same time, I think it's healthy. To talk about it. So, yeah, one of those two-sided coins. Right. Which is all coins. <laughs> Unless you're MC Escher or something. <laughs> What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, a Bezos Inquirer fight. No yes. sign of any let up there. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You got more Dems jumping into the race for that White House. And the connection between lack of sleep and cancer. Coming up, and it's from now. Lack of sleep and cancer? Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Today's show is glum and exhausting. Happy Monday, says this texture. That's our original air names, by the way, glum and exhausting. Good morning. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm sorry. Too much perspective. Yeah, you're probably right. Huh? Nobody wants that. You just want to, you want us to be your dancing monkeys. Make our little <laughs> jokes for you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's what you want, all right. That's what you'll get then. Oh, boy. Yes, Michael. <laughs> just happy birthday, Joe. Shut yeah. up. Huh? What's happy about it? The world's crumbling. I'm glum exhausted. <laughs> so now that you're an empty nester, will you have a cake tonight? Will you have a cake with candles and blow out the candles? No, but I requested uh, that my sweet wife make a batch of her delicious uh, chocolate chip cookies. Will anybody... Which s- I need like the proverbial hole in my noggin. Will anybody sing happy birthday to you? Um, She might. I don't know. Do you want us to do it for you no, right now? certainly not. I'm a grown man. Okay. <laughs> Let's get the news now. Seriously, comes. anybody starts, that will be akin to resigning your position. <laughs> what am I going to do with all these sparklers then? <laughs> and I got a hat. We're going to do the clip. Happy, happy birthday. <laughs> there you go. It's a dance. Marshall Phillips. Well, the Bezos Inquirer battle not letting up with the Daily Beast. Reporting over the weekend, the brother of Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos' girlfriend, former news anchor Lauren Sanchez, leaked the couple's intimate text to How the National Inquirer. How do you get him? Michael Sanchez, who manages his sister's career, publicly supports President Trump, who's been a vocal critic of Bezos and of the Washington Post, which Bezos owns. Sanchez, it turns out, is also an acquaintance of longtime Trump friend 
Roger Stone and Trump's 2016 campaign figure Carter Page. Meanwhile, you get an attorney for the Inquirer, Ibram Abramowitz, who's identified or who's denied rather any wrongdoing by the company. Bezos has accused the company of extortion and blackmail, saying it threatened to reveal intimate photos he'd texted uh, Lauren Sanchez unless he stopped investigating how the Inquirer got the text published last month. Abramowitz says Bezos and his mistress knew exactly who the source of the story was. Bezos and Ms. Sanchez knew who the source was. Any investigator that was going to investigate this knew who the source was. It was not the White House. It was not Saudi Arabia. The lawyer going on to say that the uh, National Enquirer got the information from a source that has passed along reliable information to them over the last seven years. Yeah, everybody's assuming it's her brother. Yeah. Um, there was quite an argument on ABC this week yesterday between Dan Abrams and Alan Dershowitz of Harvard about this. So to me, if you've got the Harvard law professor in complete disagreement with the legal analyst for ABC News, I don't know. Actually, that was the point uh, Dershowitz made. Unless it's clear cut, you have to always lean toward, you have to give the, the tie goes to the First Amendment. Right, and Dan, Dan Abrams opened by saying he's their their legal beagle who became famous for the OJ trial, but so now he's the ABC guy. Um, he said this is a close call. It's extortion ish. It's you know so it's close. And Dershowitz's argument was, well, if it's ish, if it's a close call, you have to give the nod to the First Amendment. First Amendment always wins in a close call. The whole stop investigating where we got this, or we'll publish ugly stuff. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I see his point. I don't know. It sure seems like just flat-out extortion to me. Yeah, boy, that, that's, that's, a, that's an intriguing one. That's a, it's a thick, tasty dessert to chew through. Nice cake or pie. So I ask on Friday, do you think the pictures will come out? Saturday Night Live thinks they're going to come out and thinks it's going to stop the news everywhere. Sean believes they'll come out. Oh, yeah. I think they'll come out. At some point, we're going to see a naked Jeff Bezos. You go ahead. Work that uh, beat. I won't even look at him. I'll never see him. But I think at some point, they'll come out. Mm. I've I mean, never seen Brett Favre's. You can name all kinds right. of them. I've never seen the Kardashian video. I don't I don't check out these celebrity things. Well, I still say, how did the brother get the pics? Because uh, my brother and I have a brother. We get along great. If you had we an have a, We yeah. have a, 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 a an agent that we share a lot of information with. I have a beautiful wife. I have three children. I have friends. Nobody has my intimate texts. But if you if you were having an affair, would you send the and would you send the pictures to your brother? That just no, seems of weird. Course not. Absolutely. Hey, not. look at the girl I'm having sex with now. She sent these to me. Now, look at her naked. That's he, just very weird. Did he grab up her phone and uh, I don't? Who knows? Turns out a lack of sleep could lead to a person damaging their DNA beyond repair, and it might even lead to cancer. Wow. That's according to a University of Hong Kong study that tracked people who worked a night shift and compared their data to those who work a regular shift. And what we're talking about is the amount of sleep you get daily. The study said getting less than seven hours of sleep can increase Every DNA. Every day for the last eight years. It can increase DNA damage by up to 30%. Is it hard for me to believe that your cells would be would, would have less, less fighting mechanisms against cancer if you're tired? Absolutely. Yep. CDC is recommending that people get at least seven hours a night. 
as poor sleep can lead to a lot of serious health conditions as we've just outlined, including that greater risk of cancer. At the Grammys, country music artist Casey Musgrave celebrating a big win at the award show. She took home Album of the Year. Childish Gambino's hit song, This Is America, made uh, Grammys history. First rap song winning song of the year last night. He didn't show up for the awards, but the oh-so-popular Cardi B was there to pick up her Grammy for Best Rap Album and uh, was a bit overcome by it all. I'm sorry, I just, I just, ooh, the nerves are so bad. Maybe I need to start smoking weed. <laughs> she says wacky stuff, doesn't she? Yes, she does. Trump! She also says that. And there was a rousing tribute to one Dolly Parton featuring Miley Cyrus, Little Big Town, Katy Perry, and Casey Musgraves. Oh, boy. There's some really good stuff uh, prior to that, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Miley Cyrus sings better than I thought she did. Yeah. What is I, that? I just hear her doing days? the auto-tune thing and everything. But she was singing pretty well. Of course, she was TV's Hannah Montana. Yeah, and her dad's a famous singer. So Certainly. Not surprising. Uh, why did they do the Neil Young song? Did Dolly have a hand in writing that? They sang after the Gold Rush. That was on one of her biggest selling albums, the album that she did with, I can't think of the names now, Emmylou Harris. Yeah. Oh, who else, who else did that one. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The trio so, of them. Oh, they covered that. I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, yeah, Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, there you go. Dolly Parton can still really sing. I was oh, reading. Yeah. I saw a little bit of that because one reviewer said Dolly Parton stood out among those other singers yes. as the best singer. Yeah, even right. at her current age. How old is she? She's well into her seventies. I don't know. <laughs> Stop. She's it. old. She's seventy-eight, I think. Seventy-five, seventy-eight. Wow. Around in there. Yeah. Anyway, some of her is. The rest of her is much more. You know, up Youthful. to date. Joe yeah. thinks she has fake boobs. What? <laughs> That's your news. So does she. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Oh, speaking of singers and boobs, uh, Katy Perry has a blackface problem. Uh-oh. Breaking blackface news. Oh, who's this, Michael? A Greta Van Fleet. Oh, that one best rock group or whatever. Yeah, I like their stuff. Um, Katy Perry has a blackface problem. God, I was reminded of another story I wanted to get into. What happened oh, over the weekend? An encouraging and fascinating note from science. <laughs> Thank you. A break in the glum. <laughs> encouraging and fascinating. Oh, yeah. You're going to love this. Oh, the president had his physical on Friday. We need to update you on that. How healthy or not is the president of the United States? Time to snap on the glove and take a look <laughs> at the president. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. You're feeling nervous, aren't you, boy? With your quiet voice and impeccable style. So she won, what's this person's name? Uh, this is Brandy Carlisle. Brandy Carlisle. She won Best Americana Album. Oh, really? Best Americana Roots Song and Best Americana Roots Performance. All this song. I like that sort of music. I'd have to check that out. Although this one's a little, what would they call us? Glum and exhausting. <laughs> Somebody said listening to the show this morning was glum and exhausting. I'm sorry. I came in in a discouraged and contemplative mood, and I've taken it out on you, and I apologize for that. I'll be back to being your mindless clown tomorrow, if that's what you want. Because it's your birthday? 
What? You're glum and exhausting? No, your it's the, well, I don't know. That may be a small part of it, but the, the state of the world is just, I don't know. I just, I've given up. Going to drink Bacardi like it's your birthday. <laughs> um, President had his physical on Friday. For whatever reason, this year they didn't release all the results. Maybe we'll get them at some point. What we are they hiding? We didn't get the height, weight, cholesterol, but he did write a letter, a statement to America, that the president is in fine health and there's no reason to think he won't be in excellent health for the duration of his presidency. And beyond, it said. And beyond! So, look forward to that. Healthy enough to manage the building of the wall. So, the president, speaking of the wall, the president with a tweet yesterday, Gallup poll, open borders will potentially attract 42 million Latin Americans. This would be a disaster for the U.S. We need the wall now, Trump posted yesterday. What is he referring to? A Gallup poll report that came out on Friday in which they asked people living in uh, Latin, Latin America, Oh. which has a total population of 450 million adults. If you would like to move to another country permit, would you mo- like to move to another <laughs> permanent? Hmm. Let me slow down. So much cold medicine. I do not medicine. understand your question. So much cold medicine <laughs> flowing through my veins. If they would like to move to another country permanently, if you could. Mm-hmm. 27% said they would. Which Holy would be, cow! Which would be 120 million people. Imagine that. What percentage of Americans would say they'd like to move to another country permanently? Three? God, I've never... Maybe a little more, because if the other party's president is in office, I swear I'm moving to Canada if he gets elected. No, you aren't. God, it'd be very low. Canada doesn't want you. It'd be very low, and so they've got over yeah. a quarter of them. Yeah. And then they were asked where they would move. 35% said the United States which Gallup estimated it to mean 42 million people. Now I'm going to quote not the president, but the Gallup CEO, Jim Clifton, who I believe we've had on the show before. Yeah, we have, actually. It's been ages, though. Which I found this to be a surprisingly political statement from the CEO of Gallup. Mm. 42 million seekers of citizenship or asylum are watching to determine exactly when and how is the best time to make the move. This suggests that open borders could potentially attract 42 million Latin Americans, a full 5 million who are planning to move in the next 12 months, say they are moving to the U.S. 5 million people are planning to move to the United States in the next 12 months. Holy cow. And if that were to happen, that would be an indication that our uh, immigration policies have become so lax that people from Africa or Asia would have a similar opportunity. I granted it's a little harder to get there from here or here from there, but I think it's pretty safe to presume there would be millions of people from there as well. If you live almost anywhere in the world, certainly a lot of these countries that we're talking about, if you have the opportunity to get your family in the United States and you don't, you're a bad parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, you got to take that opportunity. If you hear, I know you can just show up. Healthcare, jobs, money until you find a job, they'll give you food and some place to live. Mm-hmm. Did you know that one of the political parties, at least part of it, are advocating getting rid of the very organization that tries to figure out who's there legally or illegally? They're advocating openly getting rid of ICE. So, yeah, let's go. I would. Yeah, wow, 42 million. That's something. And, uh, you know, I point out there's, uh, for instance, if you'd asked Venezuelans, you know, a dozen years ago, the percentage would have been a heck of a lot smaller than it is right now. So as unrest builds in Central America, that number's just going to grow. So here's a uh, an encouraging and joyful note from the world of science. 
president's still uh, the same as he was last year. One thing they said, so he's still overweight and needs to exercise more because that's right. what the doctor said last year. Yeah, well, he me was, too. He, you too for almost everybody listening right now. Right, right. And if you do exercise all the time, shut up. Nobody wants to hear about it. Mm-hmm. University of Maryland, shout out to my Terrapins. They've created a new kind of fabric which warms you when you're cold and cools you when you're warm. Now, you've got to carry around a car battery with you, but it has both a heater and an air conditioner. No, I'm kidding. It's this is I'll I'll explain it very briefly. Is it your skin? Your skin does that. (laughs) No, no, they're not asking you to go naked. They've come up with this fabric. The yarn is made from two different synthetic materials. Yarn. (laughs) Coated with carbon nanotubes. (laughs) Mm-hmm. One, do I even bother trying to explain this? Long and short of it is. I'm not going to make one at home, so it might not be necessary. nano I have level, no carbon nanotubes. The very fabric, Jack, the tiny fibers of the fabric warp based on whether you are putting out any moisture, meaning you're hot, so your skin starts to try to cool itself. Any sweat whatsoever, it sends the message to the fabric to warp to permit more heat to go through it. If you're cold, then the tiny little, uh, smaller than the eye can see, little fibers warp in a different way to retain the heat. If this works... And and they think it will pretty soon. If it does, ev- that all clothes will be that. Well, and listen and to And everybody this. will wear them everywhere in the world. It'll be, right. I don't know who's making the money off of this, but it'll be huge. Of course, if you're in Baghdad in the summertime, you might as well buy cheap clothes because it's always hot. But I was thinking, well, this is obviously a great thing. You know, it's very handy and maybe your exercise, blah, blah, blah. But then they yeah, pointed wait out. wait a second. Now that you mention it, this would be really great if I'm only allowed to wear one outfit year round. <laughs> right. But see, that's, wear? <laughs> that's funny. Your mind is tracking just like mine did. I was thinking, yeah, but well, okay, that's nice. But Why don't I just wear warm clothes in the winter? And- but they pointed this out. And this is for my women's. This is for especially our lady friends. Office thermostat wars. Because mm. it's such a thing with women, partly because y'all y- y'all to be oh, throwing some clothes. You're showing too much skin. Uh, different women wearing different outfits. And, and, and I've become aware of it through listening to my wife that uh, certain women dress in a way that they really need it to be warmer in the office. And others who are not uh, showing as much skin are, are, are too hot. So if your clothing automatically regulated for that, you'd set it to one temperature and everybody would be fine. Wouldn't that be an amazing future, Jack? What a great time to be alive. <laughs> oh, that's exactly my, my right. Anyway. Oh, there you go. There you go. There it is. The human body is a perfect radiator, says Dr. Min Ouyang, professor of physics at UMD. Gives off heat quickly. For all of history, the only way to regulate the radiator has been to take clothes off or put clothes on. But this fabric is a true bi-directional regulator. So I know you took in a little of the acting attorney general, Whitaker, being grilled on Friday. I did. I, just, I Quite a bit, actually. That happened after we got off the air. But um, he's, a, he's a strong-willed person. Stood up for himself. Yeah, I don't know if you're entertained by the idea of uh, dogs and, let's see, I don't know what else. Maybe a pony. <laughs> would be great. It was a dog and pony show. Sure. It was a grandstanding news clipathon. 
in which the uh, the big bald headed chap was uh, was forced to sit there and be berated on a dozen different topics by the Democrats. And um, as soon as he would try to answer, they'd say, I control the time. I'm moving on to a different question. <laughs> so he just had to sit there and take it. <laughs> and he'd try to, try to defend himself, and they would shout him down and say, no, 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 I'm moving on to a different question. And he'd say, Mr. Chairman, am I not allowed to answer the question? Oh, the gentleman from uh, Tennessee controls the time. I'm uh, going to ask the witness to answer the questions. And so he'd have to go back to sitting there getting berated. It was something. The story of the day, and now it's disappeared into the ether and will never be thought of again. Oh, yeah. It was the biggest thing going on in the world. He was forced to admit that he'd once discussed something with somebody. Right. But now we don't remember because it's three days later. Flipping fantastic. We're in. I remember you saying this, yes, Friday. Dog and pony shows. That's what the world is. It's a series of dog and pony shows. It's just momentary spectacles that make the news, and we all yell at each other for a little while. Hey, here's the most entertaining thing I saw over the entire weekend. I should have given you a heads up, Hanson. Maybe you can post this at armstrongandgetty.com. Under hot links. That's where we post this. Hot links, which I'd I'd like to eat right now, a hot link. Oh, they give me the wins. On Saturday Night Live during the news, (laughs) they had this new feature. It it was the couple everybody hates on Instagram, which I really thought was good. And they were just so over-the-top cutesy, and they showed some of their pictures where they're like holding each other in front of a sunset. Right. I hope we die this way was the caption and stuff like that. But then they got into a fight, (laughs) got into an argument, and I thought it was so hilarious. We should post that at armstrongandgetty.com under hot links. Thought it was really, really, really well done. Saturday Night Live spent a lot more time on being funny and less time on politics uh, Saturday night. You think that's a conscious decision or just, uh, you know, the flow of the material? I hope. I hope because all the clips we've played have been really funny. Yeah. Imagine that. When you're glum and exhausting like we are, you need a laugh now and then. Right? Don't you? Look, glumness is exhausting me. You going to announce how old you are on your birthday? No. None of your business. Nobody's business how old you are. None ya. Gotcha. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.